If you have your Bibles, won't you please turn to Revelation chapter 2. And uh, this is a scripture that we shared and discussed together, Revelation chapter 2 verse 1. This is a scripture that we discussed together um, as a eldership, pastors, deacons, and now church. Um, so uh, you'll see some th- uh, three simple themes coming through. And I was delighted. I was delighted when God gave me the scripture because it really zones in. Kerry, did you share that word from Jeremiah? It was spot on. It was spot on. And so it just continues to confirm what we sense the Lord is saying. And so can I just say this morning, can you not just hear my mouth, can you hear my heart? It's very important. All right. That's important. Um, And so, yeah, what I'm presenting to you, although it's couched in Scripture, it has resonated with us as a leadership team, and um, we are confident it is resonating with the church. So um, let's dive in. Let's read together from Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, this is Jesus talking, he's commanding the angel of the church in Ephesus. We have an angel over SBC. If that's how it goes in, in uh, Revelations, we have angelic protection. It says, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And just so that you know, those seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches uh, that preside over or protect the churches. Some, some commentators think it's the actual preacher, because uh, angels is a, help me out, it's also for sent messenger. So yeah, the Greek can be taken in two ways. But um, uh, most of the translations, everyone that I know actually says angels. And the lampstands are the churches themselves. We are, in Christ's eyes, a lampstand. When he sees SBC, he sees his body. But the function, the purpose of this church's existence is to be a lampstand. And a lampstand is simply to put the light of the world, Jesus, so that it shines into darkness. And that's why... The church is called a lampstand. We ourselves are not the lights. We're only as good as how much we elevate the lights. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Verse 2. Here's some precious words of Christ to the Ephesian church. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first, If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And here he ends off in verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I sense this letter for the Ephesian church is a very appropriate message. I sense Jesus using 
this church of Ephesus to be a template or to be a model that SBC closely resembles and that he wants to use the scripture this morning to speak to us. And the first thing that I believe God wants to tell us as a church is that this church exists because Jesus permits it to. Nothing else. Do you notice who removes the lampstand? It's Jesus. Do you notice who is the one who walks amongst the lampstands and watches? It's Jesus. And I'll let you into something that happened into my life in October last year. I was at the Baptist Assembly, and I was praying. It was the darkest month of last year for me personally. And I was walking down the road, as I love to do, and I was praying. I was crying out to God. I said, God, you got to help us. We're in trouble. And I was crying out to the church, and I was crying out about the leadership problems, and I was crying out about where we're going to go, what we're going to do, how we're going to get through this. And I felt God clearly say to me, Matthew, if I want this church to close, there is nothing you can do about it. And it shook me. It was so good. Because it set me free from understanding ultimately in whose hands this church rests. It's Jesus. And if we don't please him, we're done for. You know how liberating it is as a preacher, as a leader, as a disciple of Christ, as an elder, recognizing it's not the flashy preaching. God help us. It's not the programs. It's not how brilliant our production is. It is if Christ is pleased with us, that's what makes us stand. You see, God is not nostalgic. He's not attached to a building. That's evidence. You look at the Western countries, those beautiful cathedrals, now flats, businesses. He's not attached to a building. He's not attached to a church's reputation. We have no bargaining power of saying, God, you've used us in the past. You have to use us now. He says to the church in Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, I know you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. He doesn't even care about our reputation in the city. That somehow we were once influential. Where are we now? Or somehow we have to keep a persona or image. He doesn't care. What he's interested in is, are we as a church pleasing him? And based on that, that's what we rise and fall on. And this church in Ephesus is just like us. In that, it is a busy church. In Revelation chapter 2 verse 2, Jesus says, I know your works. Isn't that awesome? He sees what we do for him. It's so encouraging. Your faithful service to the Lord does not go unnoticed here. If nobody's clapping you on, you comfort yourself by saying, God is seeing. It matters to him. And he says, I know your works and your toil. When last have you toiled? I mowed the lawn a week and a half ago. It was exhausting. I pushed that lawnmower and I was exhausted. I told the sweat was pouring off my face. This church worked hard. It was busy. And SBC, we are a busy church. Can I just quickly roll out the year for you? Without all the details filled in, the pastoral staff, the, the staff, no, Jared, you're giving a little smile there. Uh, 
We start with our church summit, Monday fasting, Wednesday prayer meeting, Friday night worship service, Saturday summit, Sunday three services. Then we launch into our educator service next Sunday. Then we launch into our Easter program. Then we launch into our holiday club. Then we launch into the Ridge Steak Nights. Then we have the GLS. Then we have Celebration Sunday. Then we have us served at schools. Then we have summer camp. Then we have Christmas series. We have the Restore Trust trying to restore the whole nation. We have normal ministries meeting throughout the week. It's exhausting. If you had to ask some of the staff, are you toiling? Oh, yes, I am. <laughs> we are brilliant at multitasking. Whilst this was happening, you laugh. Yes, you know. You know. Nicole knows. We're already planning the educator service whilst you're getting the summit done. No problem. Our team is like, bring it on. So we also have a church that's got grit. Let me tell you, Sterling's got grit. We don't roll over for nothing. GLS, in the biggest leadership crisis our church has faced in the, in the last, that I can remember since I've been here, no problem, run the GLS, celebration Sunday, guys pick up their carry on, they go. We're tough. And this is what Ephesus was like, your patient endurance. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and have not grown weary. You know what amazes me? I came into 2018 going, Jesus. Okay, I did have a little baby boy. I said, Jesus, you got to help me here. First Sunday, I'm back. I see you guys. You're in. Can I say, Milan's you're an encouragement to me. Talk to you guys. Liz Hill, we're praying. We're fasting. We got this year covered. I'm telling you, you guys have been an encouragement to us. We're proud of you. You've done well in a tough season. You've endured. Ridge, you've done well. Six months were nightmarish last year for you. Look at them now. Heads up, they're going. So I tell you this morning, we're a church that has grit. And we're a church that loves and stands for the truth. In this Ephesian church, Jesus says, You cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles. There were men trying to ruin the church with false teaching, and you found them to be false. One of the greatest comforts for me is in this church, the word matters, and I'm held account to it. And so, he says these Nicolaitans, they were an obscure group of people within the church trying to say, you can do what you like. We're no longer under the law. Sin as much as you like. The licentiousness. They were resisting, resisting men and women coming to the church to try and change or twist the truth. We have a proud heritage here of holding to Scripture. But there was one thing that God had against this church and I sense it is a call for us, a returning to this thing. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, he says, You are working so hard. You're an industrious church. You love the truth. But you've lost your love for me. He says, You have abandoned the love you had at first. Now, I was thinking about this word abandoned. It is a strong word. You only abandon something that's very precious. And some of us here have felt what it means to be abandoned. Your father left you. Your mother deserted you. Or even died. 
You abandon a baby or a child or a home or a car or a family. It is something incredibly precious and significant. You don't abandon a pair of shoes. It's like, oh, I abandoned my shoes at the park. And so, like, look, someone's abandoned their watch. That's not how it works. You'll notice in the news, people have abandoned their homes, their very livelihoods, where their history has been, their security, their place of refuge, gone, abandoned. Jesus said, that's how seriously I take your love for me. It is as important, if not more important, than your home or your car, your church, your building, your family, your spouse. He says, guys, I want you to come back to me. It matters to me. The level of passion and desire in your heart for me. And that's the first thing we are feeling God calling us back to. Across all congregations, as SBC at large, it's coming back to our first love. You see, these Ephesians had continued to work hard and prize the truth, but something had grown dim in them. They had lost their love and passion for the one who had saved them and the one who was keeping them. And for me, this translation of Revelation chapter 2 verse 4, I only ever thought of it as first love. I grew up in a church and we used to sing songs. I think it was, Mom. I don't know, if it, I don't know how, but somewhere ingrained in me, when I read Revelation chapter 2 verse 4, it says, you have abandoned your first love. That's how I just automatically go to. Church, what we want to prioritize this year is the question, how is our passion for Jesus doing as a church? In everything, in our youth groups, when you have your connect groups, after a service, in your small group, in children's ministry, no matter what the context is, it is asking the question before anything else, what is the passion for Jesus like in our church at the moment, in our group of people, in the person sitting next to me? We want to focus on that thing above all else, first and foremost. Now, why is it so important that we need to do that? You see, it will produce a subtle shift, but a profound shift in the way we do church. You see, when you start talking about passion, people matter. You cannot separate passion from a person. And so when you start asking yourself the question, where is the passion for Jesus in this church? The immediate focus is, how are our people doing? The difference is, if you focus on programs and production and productivity, you're focused on the outcome. And people only start into that thinking of, how can we get enough people to get things done? You're focused on the hands. The heart doesn't matter. When you start talking about passion, you start looking at the heart. And friends, that is where Jesus starts. That is what he wants. He's not interested in your hands if he doesn't have your heart. And as a church, may I say, this call to return to Christ as our first love, it is a call to coming back to being concerned about people. You see, you look at a guitar, you won't see passion. You look at drums, you won't see passion. Matthew, hey? Brett, I always get confused in your brother. Sorry, Brett. But you put drumsticks in the hand of a person with passion, it changes the room. 
Passion and people go together. Passion only flows from a person. You see a blank canvas, you see some dead paint, you put that paintbrush in a person of passion, in a person's hand of passion, suddenly you've got something magnificent. I was thinking about when the two cats dance. It is just a picture of passion for me. It stirs me. Gets my heart. People begin to matter. And what will happen is if we focus on this church, the subtle change is that we become more loving and concerned because people are at the heart of passion. And so when we're looking at how is our church doing, we're asking, how are our people doing? Not how neat was the service. Not how nicely reviewed. Was everything nice and orderly? I'll get to that later. What's first and foremost is, where are the people? Will make us loving and concerned. Next thing is that you'll actually get a church that starts to disciple. Do you know why we're so weak at discipleship? Is because somehow, in our minds, we have replaced production and productivity and program in the place of people. This is family time here. When you're concerned about passion in a person, you start being concerned about them. You start coming along and say, how are you doing? Yes, man, I'm really struggling this year. I just sense it. Yeah, man, let me share. This is what discipleship is. It is motivated by a heart to see passion fostered and flowing in our fellow Christians and those who come to know Christ. And so when you are fueled by passion, you're moving towards people and you're saying, how are you doing? And the guy's going, man, I'm struggling in this area. Let me share you how I found Christ in that area with you. I'm battling my marriage. Let me just share what Christ has shown me about this in Scripture. Let me pray with you. Let me encourage you. Let's meet up. You want to be with people because that's your focus. You see, we work so hard to produce an image when God is saying, no, no, go for the heart. You go for the heart. Man, that image is going to be great anyway. Because people want to know they are cared for, not entertained. Discipleship is a spin-off. And let me tell you this. If discipleship is not our focus, if passion for Christ is not our focus, we will be happy with prioritizing things like leadership training and upskilling and equipping because the focus is the hands. How can I skill the hands to do the work? Because the work is what's important so that the image can be maintained. To Jesus, that's lifeless. Discipleship is going for the heart. And when that matters to us as a church, relationship matters. It's what's important to us. Now, let me tell you the other benefit of this priority is that it will make us an attractive church. You love to be with passionate people like me, not so? Nobody likes a doer kind of, oh, how you, oh, yes, yes, oh. I'm singing, how great is our God in heaven? No, you want to be in the room with guys that are like-minded. Saying, come on, let's go for it. Can I share a story about my church in Cape Town? I went to a church called Josh Jen. It was the most amazing year of my life. An imperfect church, but let me tell you, they did not do what we do. They were very, very comfortable with being a bit messy. But when you walked in that room, there was one thing that was clear. 
it was Jesus. And when that, that chord was struck, you know what they would do? They wouldn't stay in their seats. Everybody would come to the front of the stage. They're here to worship Jesus, and we're in it together. You know what's remarkable for me? Nine years later, looking from the outside in, they have the fastest growing church network in the country and now the nations. Why? Because suddenly churches around the country who are looking for fellowship, like-minded, are saying, where can we find people of passion and life? Where can we find people that love Jesus? They sing it in Josh Jen. Let me tell you, it is changing the church. There are, there are congregations in East London. My, when my brother-in-law, who's an elder at one of the churches in Josh Jen in Weinberg, comes here, he goes to spend time. That's, he goes to spend time encouraging them, inspiring them on to love Jesus. That's the kind of relationship that they're attracted to. People in your small group will be attracted to your passion. People will be attracted to your Christianity because of your passion. People will be attracted to this church because they start to see people who have been gripped, not with a performance, but by a person, Jesus. Jesus. And we need to start asking ourselves the honest question, how is our love and passion for Jesus doing in me and you personally, in our services, in our small groups, in our youth gatherings, children's ministry, worship teams? Not how was the production elements, was it neat and tidy? No, no, we don't start there. What is the level of desire and thirst for Jesus? That is what matters first and foremost. And I'm not saying we need to be a sloppy church. Don't misunderstand me. But I will say this very strongly. Excellence is secondary to having hearts fully engaged in a passion and love for Jesus. Can I be honest this morning? This is family time. There are many leaders in this room, and I'm speaking to myself. If your people only think that you're interested in their hands... We've missed it. If in the review, there is no question of asking, how's your love for Jesus doing? Or there's no sensitivity in the room of saying, where, is, where are these people's hearts? We cannot lead teams for mere outcomes. It doesn't work. In fact, it trains people in the opposite of what we're wanting to achieve. If you ask the question and you come alongside people saying again and again, how are you doing with Jesus? Watch that team fly. Do you know why? Is passion leads to productivity. That's how it works. I watch Dave and his job. He is so passionate about cardiology, many other things. But when Dave starts to talk about, he gets passionate. He gets angry about how the government services are treating his pa- or the, uh, um, cardiac patients. It is just what God has shaped it and crafted him to do. And he is super productive. He's not sitting there singing Kumbaya to Jesus every day. He's working 12-hour days saying, God, how can I serve you? Because he's passionate. God has called him, and he wants to serve Christ in that area. And we are so afraid that if we focus not on the production and, and all that has to be done, that we're going to lose productivity. Suddenly, we're not going to be able to have capacity to do all of these busy things that we do. Let me tell you, watch this space. When passion starts to burn, it goes way beyond what performance can bring. Family time, I'm going to nudge you a bit. Can I say the reason why you don't move with Christ is because you've got no passion. I can tell you to be productive. Youth, I can say, 
Start praying now. Start reading your Bible. I can tell you all those things that you've got to do. Let me tell you, you won't do it until God grips your heart. And if you do, you'll just be like the scribes and Pharisees. Just routine. Let me just do this. There's nothing wrong with being disciplined. But the purpose of the discipline is to bring you to a person. It's to bring you to Jesus. It's just how can I encounter the Son of the living God? There is my bread. There is my water. There is my passion. It is Jesus fueling my life. That's how it works. So, come on, we need volunteers. Come on, come on, we've got to do this. Come on, come on. Come on, guys, we need help here. We need help there. Let me tell you, the people that run, I'm sometimes concerned, are the passionate ones and they're burning out. Because everybody's sitting and going, oh, it's so nice to be here. This performance is so nice. There's no passion. I worry about you, Melanes. I'm just saying. <laughs> Let me tell you now. You want amazing people. It is people who are awakened with a love for Jesus. And church changes. It goes from being just about, ooh, my kumbaya experience, to going, I feel summoned to pursue this Christ. If you make Jesus the passion, watch that space. People take initiative. I've sensed God saying, when last have you heard your volunteer? I hate that word, your teammate. Say, I've sensed God saying this to me. It happens here. When the worship team, who said, did you share? It was a couple of weeks ago. You shared a word, a picture. God gave you a word. And it was about someone falling. And there was a, this moment where I had prepared something to preach. And so often, there is this space where God speaks through the worship team. I feel God saying this. Yes. Raise the whole thing. And suddenly, the whole atmosphere of that room changed. People were starting to share. Why? Because they've got a connection with Jesus. Wow. So, can I say lastly, the benefit of this is it will make us a praying church because when you focus on the heart, you know no program can reach it. It's only the Spirit. And so we work hard. But let me tell you, our confidence is not in flesh and blood. Our confidence in the power of the Spirit to reach in deep and to awaken dead hearts for Christ. Let me tell you, the, the anointing that's here this morning is because people have been contending for you. It will make us desperately dependent on God. But if we've got our productions and our shows and whatever we've got to do, well, we don't need God, really. Because we're not too interested in the hearts. How hard are the hands working? How hard are they going? Forget the hands. Go for the hearts. We get there by prayer. Pray for us. Pray for the preachers of this church. We need anointing because it's only anointing that reaches hearts. It's not cleverness. Let me tell you, I am not an intellectual. I love to study, but I do not have capacity to reach a single human heart. It is when the Spirit comes down upon what I have to say and hearts are moved. That's what brings the change. And I'm concerned. Joe preaches at the Ridge regularly. Our preaching team, we need prayer. Because we believe what we proclaim, it's life-giving only but by the power of the Spirit. And the last thing. Two last things quickly. I'll be quicker. I'm sorry. <laughs> the two other things, I'll be quick, is that we're not only called to love Christ, but we are called to love each other. When climbing into bed this week, I felt God nudge me and said, Matt, 
coming back to your first love is not what your Bible says. Go read it again. It says, you have abandoned the love you've had at first. And he said, it's much wider than just loving me. I'm concerned about how these guys are loving each other. It matters to him. And you'll see this, the, 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 the translations are split 50-50. Some will say, come back to your first love. Others will say, come back to the love that you had at first. And the NLT puts it like this. I'm not a fan of the NLT, but this, this, this verse I am. I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. How we love each other matters to Jesus. And we are not only being called to return to the Lord this year, we're being called to return to each other. Can I share a little bit of insight? I get to talk from the front quite often. Don't make anyone feel bad here this morning, but I see it a little bit again. Is it troubles me that when we come together, there are so many people on the outskirts alone. Now, if you're sitting there, please feel free to do so. But there is a disconnectedness in our church. And I come from the ridge where we are quite close. That's why it's more on my heart, perhaps, or more on my mind. But it is a sign, the distance that are there in between the seats is a sign of the distance that is between our lives. And can I just say, like on Sunday, if you see somebody, this is my own, if you see somebody sitting on the end, like Julie, <laughs> can I quickly come? You say, hey, Julie, could I come join you? Have you had mums? <laughs> hey, I'm being serious. Okay, okay, good. So I'm going to, now don't sit next to Julie and go, how's it, Julie? I'm mad. You'll freak her out. But just say, can I come, sit, can I come join you? There's a difference. It's moving towards people. And in our services, Sterling in particular, Ridge, you're doing well, but you can also do better. In our, Sterling, I mean, we have to, guys, we have to remember that we are as important as the preacher and the worship of what people experience when they come into this place. Just that simple act of moving towards, doesn't matter if they're a bit uncomfortable, they'll leave saying, at least someone noticed me. So many of us come I do this. When I come, when you hear the word, we want to go. God's saying, guys, if you're going to return to me, you return to each other. Where you sit matters. Where you are in your life, outside of coffee, noticing and being inclusive. One of these days, I'll do it, youth. I'm going to plunk myself in somebody's chair right there. And I'm going to sit there. And you guys are going to be all awkward. But I don't know you. I don't know you. I got your name wrong. I'm being funny. But let me tell you, it matters. And moving towards each other, oh, I don't have time, I must hurry up. Moving towards each other is the tangible experience for people of drawing them to Jesus. 
It is by this the world will know that you are my disciples. You love one another. By your love, they'll know me. By them looking, they'll know me. They'll sense me. They'll feel me. They'll touch me. They'll hear me. When this, I tell you what, when people are together, when I preach, it changes my preaching. I feel like I'm preaching to one. Right now I'm preaching to like five million different people. I'm saying, I hope you're hearing me. But sometimes I get an opportunity to preach and the people are so together. There's such unity. And the anointing comes. The Spirit comes and I can sense God is leading them forward because they have one mind, one heart, one passion. It affects even the Spirit. Where you sit matters. How you orientate yourself in this congregation where you're at, 8, 10, 6 Ridge, doesn't matter, matters. And I don't have time, but we are wanting to focus, God help us, on relationships. And uh, we want to focus on our small groups. We want to focus on our congregational times together. How connected are we feeling it? Mobilizing our congregational teams, mobilizing individuals who have had on their heart to say, guys, we need relationship. We need help. Can I be honest? We need help. Ideas welcome. Last one is, we need to love the outsider. And God, in my mind, gave me this, these three words. He said, Matt, I want you to love up. I want you to love me. I want you to love in. I want you to love each other. And I want you to love out. I want you to be the kind of church that when outsiders come in, and that can be theological, lost, they don't know Jesus. Even in your work, it flows over more than the church. Those on the outside, those backsliders who've, who've wandered far from Christ, those who are struggling, those who are limping, those who are on the outskirts, I want you to love on them. I want my, your love not just to be up and in, I want it to be out. And so we as a, a leadership, we want to ask the questions that matter. See, our natural drift is to be insular. It's nice. Sense the spirit together. To love in and to love up is so natural. To love out is not. And so, we want to ask the questions this year. Are we seeing salvations? We want to ask the questions, are our guests, newcomers, celebrated? Are we moving towards them? Do they want to stay? Is this a space where people can come in? They can bring anybody and know that there'll be a good shot they'll be loved and ministered to. Are we as a church reaching, loving those whom God has put where we work, live, and play? You see, we're a lampstand. This is what I end with. A lampstand's only there for light. And light into darkness. If we're no longer useful to the city, no longer useful to the nation, no longer useful to those around us who are on the outskirts, but we're all just in, we're loving up, we're loving in, we're not loving out, we're done for. Christ won't be pleased. We're done for. I am weak in this area. I've said to the elders, my preaching is often insular. I'm being vulnerable with you. You need to pray for me. I'm praying for God to break my heart afresh for those that matter to him. I'm praying the same prayer for you. So, God promises life if we'll do this. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, he says, He who has an ear, don't wait for the whole church to get on board and suddenly there's a leadership strategy and then we do it. No, no. Now, if you can hear it and God is stirring your heart, now, 
love Christ, love, love each other, love the outsider. You start now. If any one person has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one. Doesn't matter if we get it wrong as a church, you can get it right as an individual. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. Some of us are spiritually bored here. You've done church for years. How many of you ticked more than 10 years at Sterling? I've been here for 10 years. I'm telling you, there is spiritual boredom that can come in. And some of us, we're dying from it. And I'm telling you, we are more excited about many other things because we're not challenged and engaged with what God can do here in you. If anyone, any one person here gets going, you'll find life. Not just in the life to come, but right now, fullness, purpose, clear conscience that you're being obedient, excited to hear what will God say next? What does God want me to do next? What is he going to put before me? And suddenly you come into this place of realizing that day by day, God is stirring you to do what he's called you. And it'll come in three ways. Can we say it together? Let's love up. Let's love up. Let's love in. Let's love out. One more time. Let's love up. Let's love in. Let's love out.